to some of you all, this might not be the case, but still allow me to say good morning. <laughs> no gloating on my end whatsoever. As a matter of fact, to share in some of the pain, um, it, it was quite an interesting week for me and to some extent the Watkins family. <clears throat> First, um, wild part, I was rear-ended and uh, no major damage, no one was hurt, uh, but there will need to be some work done on the car. So that happened. Second, uh, one of our children, I'm not going to say which one, but while out shopping, they get lost in the store. <clears throat> and so people have to call our name out over the intercom, and <clears throat> we're like, Lord, have mercy. <clears throat> <clears throat> And then last night, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Just know that the people I'm thinking of are sitting in the middle. <laughs> but I was, my family and I had the, the blessing of uh, being invited to a community group. And so we went and spent some time with this group. And I was gifted a pair of Baltimore Raven socks. A rough week. <laughs> and at first I was hesitant about whether or not I should wear them, but now as a matter of sympathy I almost feel obligated. <laughs> I don't have them on today, but uh, when the Chiefs play the Titans I might put them on, so... But all, all, all seriousness, I, I, the Lord is on the throne. Um, I asked a couple of people, what should I expect? Because uh, coming, we're coming from a football city, and when things don't go our way, Sunday morning is an interesting Sunday morning. And I'm like, what should I expect uh, from this group? And, you know, folks, well, there'll be some sad faces, but they're ready to worship Jesus. So we're going to worship Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, so with that said, uh, let me give you just a little idea first of where we're going, uh, but let me do that by going backwards first. So last uh, Sunday, uh, we kicked off the new year talking a little bit about the new wine, and I challenged you and I challenged myself, uh, what is the new wine for which Christ is calling us to taste. And while I did not necessarily speak in a corporate sense, I challenged us as individuals to think about that. I want to now, for this morning, focus on the new wine of the gospel, specifically living by faith. So we'll play with this thought a little bit with the time that we have. So having said that, if you're able, I'll ask you to rise. <coughs> This morning's portion of Scripture is from Romans chapter 1. We'll look at verses 16, through 17, 16 and 17. And again, the title is Living by Faith. So let me read it, pray, and then you can take your seat.
The Apostle Paul says uh, these words to the church in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, this is your word through your apostle. And we ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you would help us to understand what it is that's being communicated in this word. And we pray that your spirit would also help us to think through how this affects our lives on tomorrow, this week, and whatever other days you give us. We thank you so much for your word. We commit this time unto you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I've used this um, example before, and I think it's somewhat fitting for the portion of Scripture that we have before us today. Many of us, if not all of us, have some Bible verse or Bible passage that has drastically affected our lives in some form or fashion. And this is probably not, well, if it's the case with us, it's not only the case with us. You can look back over the course of history and you will see how some of the saints of old have been affected by certain Bible verses. For example, the great North African bishop, St. Augustine. The verse, verse is that affected his life was Romans 13, 13 and 14. You can read that later, but in essence, it talks a little bit about, uh, you know, not, or rather, you know, living properly as in the daytime and not engaging in sexual immorality and greed and jealousy, but instead putting on Christ. And so as he read this verse or these verses, It changed not only the course of his life, but also the course of Christianity in the West. And this verse, these verses before us today, this on some level had the same effect with a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And for whatever one may think of Luther, I mean, he was, of course, wild. uh, But yet, despite his flaws and other things, the Lord... Uh, I believe, and others would believe, used him mightily. And this was a verse that really changed the course of his thinking as well as the course of his life, and, dare I say, Protestant Christianity as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll look a little bit more at how this affected Luther as I prepare to close. But let's first take a look at some of these uh, aspects that we'll see Uh, in this verse. It says in the beginning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So we'll stop there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul, I would remind you. And you have to consider the Apostle Paul's context. This is not something said simply out of thin air. As a matter of fact, by the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul would have experienced all kinds of tribulations. He would have 
been ridiculed, beaten in some cases. I mean, prior to writing Romans, he would have gone through quite a lot as a result of his faith. So not only is there him going through trials and tribulations, but you'll see elsewhere, for example, in 1 Corinthians, he says the message of the gospel is foolish to those who do not believe. The Greeks, they seek uh, you know, wisdom or they're after wisdom and the Jews, they seek signs and the message of the cross is a stumbling block and it's foolishness to everyone else. And so on one side of the coin, Paul is going through trials and tribulations as a result of believing and preaching the gospel. And then on the other side of the coin, the message itself seems foolish to a lot of people. And for some in Paul's day, this why go through all that you're going through for the sake of this weird message. You want us to believe in a Messiah who came and died on the cross and was raised and he's gone now. We can no longer see him. And here you are in prison. Your life is constantly in danger. And everyone is looking at us like we're crazy for believing this kind of message. Why in the world would we want to do that? And it's in this context that the Apostle Paul can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, it goes almost without saying, but there are certain things that we can be proud of that we should not be proud of. I was thinking through a number of those things, and just to name a few, you know, for some of us, it might be our resources. We boast or we think super highly of ourselves or of our resources, and we must be very careful of that. For others, and I'm not necessarily suggesting this uh, in the case of a, uh, our crowd, but uh, I've heard of folks who would boast in their uh, sexual exploits. And these are not things worth being proud of. And on the other side of things, there are also things that we are sometimes ashamed of that we should not be. I'm thinking, for example, and there are plenty of other examples, of course, but I, I, you know, working with youth at one point and having some kids who were doing very, very well in their school, but they didn't want to uh, offend the cool kids who might not have been doing well. And so they were kind of ashamed of, of being smart, so to speak. And that is something to be encouraged by. One thing we cannot afford to be ashamed of is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in the gospels. He says, those who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them in the presence of my father. Brothers and sisters, let's not hide the fact. Let's not try to smooth out and make more uh, you know, make it more pleasing to those who do not believe. Uh, the, the gospel is, is it, it's foolishness to the natural person. The things that are required of us by the gospel itself will cause plenty of folks, ourselves included, to scratch our heads. But yet, we must remember that the ways of the Lord are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. And so if this is what Christ has called us to embrace, namely the message of the cross, his resurrection, 
and all that that entails, know that we should not and cannot afford to be ashamed of it. Amen? Now, in a nutshell, what, what, what is this gospel that, that Paul preaches? And, and, you know, on some level, you, there's places in Paul's writings where he presents it in simplistic form, and then there are other places where it's a little more elaborate. But simply put, when Paul thinks of the gospel, he is thinking of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is, namely the Messiah, the Son of God, and what he has come to do, namely live and teach us the ways of the Lord, of the Father, and to go to the cross and to be raised from the grave. But not only that, to come back again to receive his church. And this is what he's going out and he is proclaiming. And again, for many others, this is a weird thing. Not necessarily just the belief in a Messiah who was crucified, but the things that we're called to do as a result. Forgive those who persecute us. Love an enemy. Consider someone better than me, though I have more resources and more education. I'm to consider that person as better than me. Look out not for my interests, but for the interests of others. These things are what Paul believed would be the result of us embracing the gospel. And so again, brothers and sisters, Paul says that he is not ashamed of this very gospel. But then he goes on to say also in verse number 16, why is it that he's not ashamed? For it is the power of, of God for salvation. Now I want you to think about this for a second. When you read through the Bible and when you see the mighty acts of God, perhaps there are a couple of things that will come to your mind. For me, creation comes to mind. I see a powerful, mighty God when I open the pages of the Bible and I see a God who's able to make the heavens and the earth. I see great power in that. When I read through God delivering the uh, Israelite slaves out of Egypt and him uh, opening the waters for the people to walk through on dry land, I see a powerful and mighty God. And you can see multiple instances of God's power. But Paul says that the gospel is also where God's power is seen. In other words, for you and I to be saved, to experience salvation, that required the almighty, powerful God. This was not something that could be easily done. It's obviously something that we in and of ourselves could not accomplish. And yet, Paul says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Being saved from our sins being saved from ourselves. This requires the mighty hand of God himself. And so Paul says, yes, we might be laughed at, we might be talked about, we might be ridiculed. Some of us may lose our lives, our jobs, our family for the sake of the gospel, but know that this very gospel is the gospel that brings salvation to mankind. 
And as such, again, it is not worth being ashamed of. Again, brothers and sisters, the Lord blesses us with a variety of things. Amen? The clothes we have on, what health we do have, our homes if we have one, whatever it may be, our jobs, Baltimore Raven socks, the Lord gives. Amen? But let us always remember that the greatest gift, and, and I don't mean to belittle other things that the Lord does, but salvation is such a precious gift, and it is not something that comes easy. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, and praise be to God for this. Amen? So he goes on, he goes on to say that it's not only the power of God for salvation, but to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this gospel it is not simply for a specific ethnicity. And I won't belabor this point too much, but Paul, again, who is a Jew, but yet is responsible for going out to make the gospel known to the Gentile world, he is making sure that everyone knows that though Jesus might have come in the flesh and as a Jewish person, and though he came and spoke first to the lost sheep of Israel, know that this gospel is for all who will believe, whether old or young, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your resource, no matter your educational experience, this gospel is not only for all, but is needed by all. And so he is trying to make it clear that this is a gospel that, again, is not to be ashamed of but there is power in it, and it's for all. Amen? That is good news. Amen? Praise God for the gospel. Now, in verse number 17, he goes on and he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, I spoke about Luther, Martin Luther, a little bit earlier. And if you are uh, familiar with this story, uh, you will recall that he was uh, a German monk and he was struggling with his faith. He understood the righteousness of God in a, uh, in a, a frightful way. For him, he had been taught and he believed that the righteousness of God had to do with his character. And not only that, but we had to be like God. And to be like God, there were certain things that we needed to do and certain things we should not do. And Martin Luther came to realize that these were things we could not do ourselves. And so he's reading and he's praying and he's struggling. And by some accounts, it took him some years to come to this conclusion. But he reads in this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. He comes to the conclusion, to the belief that this is not an active righteousness. This is not something that we do to make ourselves right with God. But instead, this righteousness is a gift given by God. And we accept it passively by faith. Let me say that again. To be made right with God, 
i.e. the righteousness of God. To be made right with God, you cannot read enough Bible. You cannot pray days on end. You cannot go out and do all of the so-called good works you can do. All of these things are good things per se. But if you think these are the things that will make you right with God, Luther, Paul, other portions of Scripture will say you misunderstand the righteousness of God. Instead, God himself makes us right with himself by his son. This is why we have to be very careful, and I don't, I'm not saying that we do this here, but we have to be very careful of making others feel like they have to do something in order to get right with God. Should people pray, amen? Amen? Should we read our scriptures? Amen. Should we do good works? Amen. Should we listen to the pastor preach the word? As long as he's preaching the word. We should be doing all of these things. But we do these things as a result of something that has been done for us. I don't care how ugly your past is. I don't care how bad you feel about yourself. I don't care how bad others make you feel. You may have broken certain relationships that you cannot repair. Family, friends, whoever. Know that none of this can stop a powerful God from making you and me right with him. And so, brothers and sisters, when we look at this specific verse and we see that the righteousness of God is revealed, this is a righteousness, a being made right with God as a result of God's power, not our own. Amen? And thanks be to God for that. Now, having said that, he goes on, he goes on, and he says that this righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. There are a number of interpretations on how that, what that means. Uh, I am of the opinion uh, with, I think, a majority of, of Bible scholars, I would suppose, uh, who believe this is a matter of fact in the days of old and now. In other words, as we'll see, he quotes from Habakkuk. In other words, being made right with God was a matter of faith in the days of old, and it's a matter of faith now. In other words, there wasn't this way to God, and now this side of cross, this is how we get to God. Yes, God made himself known in a variety of ways, but when it comes to the issue of faith, that has always been the case. And Paul hits on this a great deal in his letter to the Galatians. But he concludes it with saying, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He quotes this from Habakkuk, and you'll see it also referenced in Galatians and Hebrews. But this Habakkuk, by the way, is a minor prophet, and if you have not read it, I would encourage you to do so. It's probably my favorite uh, uh, prophecy to read 
of the minor prophets. But in essence, you'll see uh, in a nutshell, the prophet, uh, he, he's, he's out or he's witnessing God's people. They're living all kinds of ways that are not glorifying to God. They're not operating according to the covenant. And he brings this complaint to the Lord. Father, what is going on with your people? We are not living up to the standards for which you have called us to live. And, and God in the prophecy responds, you know, you're right. And as a matter of fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send forth a nation and I will discipline this people. And Habakkuk somewhat, I don't want to backtrack, it's perhaps not the right word, but he gets caught off guard. Lord, uh, well, that's not necessarily what I was thinking. Um, why would you go get a nation that is probably more wicked than us to discipline us? And what's interesting is the Lord doesn't give him a full-fledged answer, but Habakkuk, in essence, ends the letter with saying, you know what? You are God. I trust you. I believe in you. In other words, the righteous will live by faith. What does that mean as we prepare to close out? What does it mean for you and I to live by faith. Well, a couple of things that I would call your attention to, and, and faith can be used in, in a number of contexts, but specifically right here in this context, faith is, is, is a, a trust and a belief in God himself and looking to God for all that we need. Whether it be salvation, whether it be provisions or resources or guidance or whatever it may be. Now, you have to weigh that over against what Paul was dealing with in his day. And to some extent, we see it in our day. There will be some who trust in themselves. They think they have what it takes to to get whatever it is they need to get or go wherever they need to go. And so it's all about their ability and their experience. To others, we, we treat, uh, it could be a pastor, it could be a person that we respect, and, and we should respect various people, but be careful of putting them in the place of God. In other words, we have a belief, we have trust in various people and in various things. But Paul and other writers in the scripture will say when it comes to things spiritual, again, salvation, walking in the ways of the Lord, being guided by God himself, you must be dependent upon him. And not up until you get out of the house or you get to a certain age or you got a certain degree, we always need God. We always need to look to him, not just for what he has done in the past, but what he will do in the future. And by the way, this is why the Apostle Paul, despite all that he went through, you think you had a bad day, a bad night. And I don't want to belittle some of the things that we're going through. But Paul knows what it's like to go through things. 
us. You've been without food, Paul says. He knows what it's like to be without food. You've been without a home, Paul would say, I know what that's like. You've been to jail or to prison, I know what that's like. You've been laughed at or talked about, I know what that's like. And of course, according to tradition, he goes, lives out the gospel all the way up until his death. Why is it that he can endure the things that he did? It was because of his faith in an almighty God. He trusted God with his life. He trusted God for his salvation. He trusted God for his food. He trusted God for the next day. He trusted God for wisdom. He trusted God for all that he needed to do. Might not have wavered. I don't get that impression, but I don't get the impression that this was easy for him as well. As a matter of fact, there are examples in the scripture where the Lord has to appear to him and let him know, hey, I'm with you. Keep going. I got people that you are still to reach. Paul was able to endure because of this faith. And you and I, as individuals, as a church, let us ask the Lord by his spirit to help us live by this faith. Yes, praise God for our gifts, our talents, whatever else the Lord has provided for us. Let us also remember that just as Paul, up until the very end, needed the God of his salvation, you and I will need the God of our salvation. We'll need him for whatever it is he's calling us to do in the next phase of our church's life. We'll need him for whatever we have to do in our work on tomorrow or Tuesday. We'll need him until he calls us home. And we must live this faith out so that he can be glorified and honored. Amen? Father, we bless your most holy name. And we thank you. Well, first, Father, we, if we have been ashamed or acted as if we were ashamed of the gospel, we ask for your forgiveness for that. And in turn, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for him coming to the earth. We thank you for his teaching and his healing ministry. We thank you for him going to the cross and dying on our behalf. We thank you for raising him from the grave to prove that what you have said is true, that you love us, and that you have a bright future for us. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to live in light of our Savior's work. Help us to not walk by sight, but help us to walk by faith, knowing that you are guiding us and that you are keeping us. And Father, we bless you, for this is something that only you could do, namely bring us unto yourself. Help us, Lord, to go out and live in light of this gift, and help us to tell others about this gift in our words and in our actions. And Lord, as we do, May you be honored and glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people says, amen. Amen.